Well, Jesus, before his ascension into heaven, met with his disciples and uh, told them that he has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, uh, and that he was sending them in his authority to go and make disciples of all men, baptizing them, uh, those who come into faith in him, and then to teach them to observe all that he had commanded them, and that he will be with them to the end of the age. Uh, and really, in this time of, of, of the festive season, so to speak, uh, we have great opportunity to, to share Christ with those who do not know Him. But Jesus also warned earlier in Luke chapter 10, verse 16, that uh, the one who listens to you listens to me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. And so there will be those who will not receive the word of life, the gospel of Christ. Uh, they will not, uh, not uh, just as they did not like Jesus and received His message of the kingdom of, of God. And now today we come, we are back in Matthew after our short little excursion through, through Titus, uh, and we come to the passage where Jesus are being rejected by His hometown. He was, they, he was rejected uh, out of unbelief. And really, this little passage provides us some uh, telltale signs of unbelief, uh, so that we would not be surprised when we encounter these signs in our proclamation of the gospel. Uh, we are, of course, in Matthew 13, a chapter full of parables, a chapter uh, where Jesus told parables in response to persistent unbelief uh, of the people of Israel and particularly the, the religious leaders who rejected His teaching and His miracle-working power as coming from Beelzebul, basically saying it comes from the devil, um, really an unforgivable sin to attribute the work of the Holy Spirit to Satan. And Jesus, in judgment, started teaching them in parables to hide the truth of the kingdom of God to those who would not believe and to taught through these same parables the truth of the kingdom of God to those to whom it has been given, uh, to those with ears to hear, eyes to see, and minds to perceive. And so the kingdom program, uh, the program of God is still progressing, even though Jesus as king has been rejected by uh, Israel at his first coming. Uh, he will yet fulfill every glorious promise about the kingdom at his second coming. Uh, and uh, really, the kingdom progress between his first and second coming is the subject of all these parables that we have looked at before. And now we come to the end of chapter 13, where Jesus withdrew from the Sea of Galilee, uh, where He taught and ministered, uh, and He withdrew to His hometown called Nazareth. Uh, and uh, we find in this passage that it is not only the religious leaders and those from the hustle and bustle of the cities around the Sea of Galilee that rejected Jesus as king, but even his own village um, and his own family uh, at that time did not recognize him to be king. And uh, 
From this passage, we can recognize a few telltale signs of unbelief. So, if you're not there already, please turn to Matthew 13, verse 53, and we'll read to the end of that chapter. And when Jesus had finished these parables, He departed from there and came to His hometown and began teaching them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished. And said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you in need of your grace, Lord. We pray for your uh, ministry, Lord, the ministry of the word, that your spirit would apply to our lives, Lord, that we would learn from you, Lord, um, that we would... Uh, recognize, Lord, these signs of unbelief, Lord. And uh, Father, if they may be true in us, that we would repent and turn to faith in Christ. And Lord, for those who, who, in whom we recognize it, Father, that we would intercede for them, uh, Lord, that by your grace you would grant them repentance leading to life. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so really from this passage, I've discerned four uh, telltale signs um, that we can identify in those set in unbelief. And that basically, they will dispute our authority. They will denounce our credibility. They will defame our propensity. And they will disdain or despise our God's generosity. And so let's look at the first one. They will dispute our authority. Verse 53, And when Jesus had finished these parables, He departed from there, and He came to His hometown and began teaching them in their synagogue. And they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and miraculous powers? This is really the second visit that Jesus made to Nazareth to teach in their synagogue. Uh, the first time was we, we, we read recorded in Luke chapter 4, uh, at the start of Jesus' teaching ministry, when he took, remember, he went into the synagogue and he took a scroll and started reading from Isaiah 61, which read, The Spirit of the Lord is God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. And he has sent me up, sorry, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then he announced to them that this prophecy is being fulfilled by him in their hearing. And they marveled at his gracious words, but began to doubt and ask, is this not Joseph's son? And Jesus perceived that they wanted to see miraculous signs from him, like the same signs that what he has done in Capernaum and around the Sea of Galilee. But, but Jesus refused to serve uh, really as mere entertainment to them, knowing that they did not esteem him as one sent from God. They did not esteem him as a prophet. 
And then he pointed to prophets of old, Elijah and Elisha, uh, sent from God, uh, who did great miracles. Uh, and he mentions too where he, Elijah, aided uh, a gentle uh, widow during a famine by providing food for her, and Elisha, who healed the, the leprous name, the Syrian commander. Um, and he really chastised them, uh, saying that God's miracle powers are for those who trust in Him. They are not for those who seek signs out of unbelief. Um, and this infuriated them, and they sought to throw him off the brow out of a nearby hill. Uh, Nazareth is actually situated on the, on the northern uh, side of the Jezreel Valley, uh, and there's quite a few high cliffs there. Uh, but we read in Luke 4 that he escaped their hands. And now this is about a year later, and again Jesus is back in Nazareth, and precious little had changed. Uh, he went again to their synagogue and began to teach. And they were yet again astonished, amazed. They marveled at his teaching. They were astonished at his wisdom. And the word really astonished has the idea of being knocked out or knocked over, overwhelmed or stunned. Uh, I think a good English translation today, they were gobsmacked. They just couldn't grasp how, where does all this wisdom come from? And of course, wisdom has, has, has a wide range of meaning, any, anything from being shrewd in everyday life to, to the highest and noblest expression of wisdom regarding intellectual and spiritual matters, spiritual truth that would surpass any and all of the contemporary scribes, uh, rabbis, or, or wise men. Uh, but the wisdom that Jesus taught was really the wisdom of God. Uh, and it was the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, it was the unsurpassed wonder and truth and grace that God was revealing to them that are in store for those who would repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And so they marveled at it. They were astonished at that. And they were astonished at His miracle-working powers. Uh, these may be miracles that they have heard of, uh, that He performed in and in, around Galilee, um, Mark says that he could not really perform miracles in Nazareth because of their unbelief. He could only lay hands on a few people and, and heal them. And so uh, these miraculous powers that they were astonished about, maybe even from miracles that are not recorded for us here in Matthew or elsewhere in, in the Gospels. Uh, but the fact is that they recognize his unprecedented wisdom, and power. Um, they did not, nor could they, deny His wisdom and His miracle-working power. But instead of believing in Him, they started to question the source of His wisdom and miracle power. They disputed His authority. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? And so they were not asking where location-wise did he get it from. They were asking in whose name, in whose authority, where did he get this? How can he say these things? How can he do these things? Was this from God 
Or was this from something else? Really, they have refused to believe the testimony of John the Baptist, who proclaimed Christ to be the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who will baptize His people in the Holy Spirit, John 1, 29-34. They refused the testimony of, of God, the Father Himself, who declared that Jesus is His beloved Son in whom He is well pleased, in Matthew 3, for 17. They refused to believe the Scriptures that testifies that in Him, is eternal life, John 5, 39, 40. And they refused to believe the works that he did as from someone from God, uh, even though uh, Nicodemus recognized that when he says, no one can do these things unless they are from God. Uh, they did not want to face the reality of what it testified about Jesus what implications it held for them. That if Jesus was teaching and performing miracles in the power of God, then He is who He claimed to be. That He is indeed the Savior, the King, God incarnate. And that meant they had to repent and believe. And since they were hardened in unbelief, they refused to accept His words and His authenticating miracles as coming from God. They disputed Jesus' authority to proclaim the kingdom and that it is at hand and that He would call them to repentance and faith. And really, this is a tactic that is still used by many who refuse to believe today. A telltale sign of unbelief is really to dispute the authority, the authority of the words we proclaim, the authority of the one who called us and who sent us to proclaim the gospel. And so instead of heeding our call, instead of responding to our pleas, having heard the clear and authoritative teaching of God through His gospel and through His word, instead of believing, they will dispute our authority. They will dispute the word of God. They would say, well, why should, who is this God and why should we listen to Him? And they start to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They will dispute the authority of the Bible, the truthfulness of the Scriptures, they would say, there are many other wonderful, marvelous religious books. What makes this one so special that we need to believe this? And so they reject the Bible and they reject it having any authority over them. They, they question the truthfulness of, of the Scriptures. Why? Because they have established themselves as the highest authority. They are the ones who will decide what is true and what is False. And really in doing so, they follow in the footsteps of Adam and Eve who heard the word of God and then heard the lies of Satan. And they said, well, I will decide who is right. And because of their sinful and darkened hearts that led them away in futility to follow their sensual inclinations and desires, people reject the authority of God's word. And so when we preach Christ crucified, 
when we preach the gospel, the word of God, and its demands on people, calling people to repent or believe, know that as you do so, that we come and we stand in the authority of Christ to whom it was given all authority in heaven and earth. So don't stop proclaiming the gospel when they dispute your authority to do so. And don't stop preaching the word of God, proclaiming the word of God when they question the truthfulness, the reliability, the authority of the word of God. Asking, where did this come from? Why should we believe this? But we are to keep proclaiming the Word of God. Speak, exhort, reproof with all authority. Authority given us by Christ Himself. For those with hardened hearts, hardened to unbelief, they will refuse to accept the Word of God. They will refuse to accept it has authority to call them to repentance. They will always find fault with the Scriptures. They will always have another question. They will always doubt the legitimacy of the Scriptures and the claims it makes. They did it to Jesus, and they will do it to us. They did it to the Word incarnate, truth personified, and they will do it to us, His ambassadors, His disciples, His messengers. And so really the first telltale sign of unbelief is that they would dispute the authority of Christ. They would dispute the authority of the Scriptures so that they will not repent and believe. Secondly, they will deny, denounce our credibility. Verse 55, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary, his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are his sisters, and his sisters, are they not with us? Where then did this man get all these things? You see, the Nazarenes were astonished by Jesus' wisdom and his miracle-working power. And instead of believing the facts that is before them, the truthfulness of his words spoken, the, the power that affirmed his message as being from God, they focused on why Jesus could not and should not be someone who would be teaching these things. They undermined, they denounced his credibility. He says, oh, well, he's, he's the carpenter's son. I mean, Joseph by this time has most likely passed away, and, and Jesus took up his trade, as often happened in those days. And so he was probably the village carpenter in, of Nazareth for, for his life before his ministry, public ministry started. Actually, the Gospel of Mark calls him, is this not the carpenter? Pointing, really, that Jesus was uh, the carpenter uh, in Nazareth before his public ministry. We know his mother, Mary, she, she still lives here among us. And, and, and his brothers, they are all, all here James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters, they, they hear, we know who you are, where you come from. 
And really, just uh, on the side note here, just mentioning Jesus' siblings would, should be enough to sink the Roman Catholic doctrine that Mary is the all-holy, ever-virgin mother of God. Uh, of course, Jesus was conceived supernaturally and He was born of a virgin. But subsequent to that, Mary had other children, Jesus' brothers and sisters, uh, that and they were conceived and delivered in very natural ways. And so, just goes to show that you would believe only what you want to believe, regardless of the truth or the evidence. And here they could not deny Jesus' wisdom, nor His wonder-working power. But they were not going to be lectured by the little boy from the burbs, like they are another country bumpkin like themselves, the, the village chippy. They are not going to be lectured by Him. Oh no, this poppy has grown too tall. We need to cut him down to size. He is no one special. He is just like us. He's no, he doesn't have any special breeding nor any special education. He is but the lowly carpenter from a backward village of roughnecks, Nazaville. Who is he to come and tell us that we need to repent and believe in him? And people, this tactic is used today by those who refuse to believe. Who are you to tell me to repent? You are just like me, they would say of us. You Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites. You say these things, you demand these things, but you are no different from us. You do the same things. Just look at the church. Let's look at the, the, the abuses that's been exposed in the church. The sexual abuse, the fraud, the deceit, the money-grabbing, power-hungry abuses by many. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> and so they will denounce our credibility, lumping us in with a whole host of people who may profess Jesus with their lips, but who denies Him with their deeds. And then suddenly they say, because you are with them, you are a Christian like them, you don't have any credibility to talk to us. But the question remains, from where then this wisdom and these miracle-working powers? Where did Jesus get that from? And really by acknowledging that He has wisdom and miracle-working power, they condemn themselves. For they, like the scribes and the Pharisees, could not deny the miracles and the wisdom of Jesus, but they questioned the source. They denied the source. The scribes and the, the Pharisees actually attributed to, to Satan. But the Nazarenes left it unspoken. But they did not believe it was from God. Why? Because they took offense at Him. Again, just another side implication here is that these verses really prove that all the claims of some of the uh, apocryphal gospels 
these are writings by heretical teachers who, who sought to hijack the teachings of Jesus for their own purposes. Like, for instance, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Judas, the Gospel of Mary, the Gospel of Marcy, and the Gospel of Philip. Even the one named the Gospel of Truth. They all claimed that Jesus performed miracles in his youth. Well, the folks of Nazareth never seen any of it and never heard of it because they suddenly Jesus appeared and says, where did he get these things from? And of course, John, the, uh, the Gospel of John clearly states that when Jesus turned water into wine in, at the wedding of Cana, that was the beginnings of his signs and miracles. But those who refuse to believe, they will dispute our authority and they will denounce our credibility. And they will defame our propensity. Verse 57, And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. Jesus had the propensity to speak the truth. He had the propensity to speak God's word. He has the propensity to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom wherever he went. And this was true in Nazareth too. He taught in their synagogue the truth of God. And they took offense at him. They were not merely angry at Jesus, although that was true. The word offense really means, as, as at its root, a cause to, to trap someone, to trip someone, to be a stumbling block to someone. <coughs> Pardon me. And so here the, the, this word is actually offense is, is in, a, in the verb form, in the passive uh, imperfect, which means that they saw Jesus as one who causes others to stumble, who causes others to, to trip up. Oh, Krista, can you... <coughs> Sorry. Give me a second. <coughs> uh, pardon me. <coughs> and so they saw Jesus as really as a, a stumbling block. They defamed him as a troublemaker who causes problems for others. He was a stumbling block in the sense that he was teaching others continually, drawing away the people from the traditional teachings of the rabbis of that day. And they resented Jesus for speaking things that were different than what the Pharisees said and were able to prove the authority of his word through miracles, that which made in their eyes, the, the deception even worse. But since they could not dispute the wisdom and his teaching, of his teaching, nor his miracle-working power, they concluded that it came from an unholy source. And that makes Jesus a disruptive deceiver a malicious stumbling block, a troublemaker. And since they know his family, where he's from, and 
and what he was, the son of a carpenter. He is not the son of a prophet, nor the student of a, re a renowned rabbi. They renounced him as not from God. He is not speaking for God. He is leading people away from God. And they defamed him as a stumbling block. And Jesus answered them and said, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and his own household. Prophets, really, as we know, are men sent by God at various times throughout the history of Israel to give direct revelation, a direct message from God to the people. They were the men who spoke, thus says the Lord. They were not just reinterpreting or regurgitating words that had been spoken before. No, they had direct communion with God and passed on His exact words to the people at that particular time. Now, John the Baptist, or until John the Baptist, there had been no prophet sent to Israel for about 400 years. 400 years, God was silent. And then suddenly, John the Baptist appeared, and all the people recognized him to be a prophet from God, one who spoke for God. One who called the nation to prepare their way for the Messiah to come, to repent and produce the fruit of repentance for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now Jesus was saying that, really using this proverbial saying and applied it to himself and saying, Jesus really in doing so affirmed himself to be from God, speaking for God. He claimed, in essence, that he had direct communion with the Father, that he received direct revelation from God the Father. Jesus taught the very words of God, and he performed wonderful works, signs, miracles to authenticate that his message is from God. And yet, they did not believe him. John wrote in John, well, Jesus said in John 14, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Jesus was claiming by saying that proverbial saying that he says that he acts as a spokesman for God. However, as throughout history, what the prophets spoke from God was often not recognized as coming from God and was often opposed and the prophets were rejected and persecuted. And Jesus pointed out that this was particularly true of those who knew the prophet before he was called to act on God's behalf. And especially in his own hometown and in his own family. And they just could not see past the man who lived among them at one time. So they defamed him. Even Jesus' family, we read elsewhere, thought that he 
was mad. He lost his senses in Matthew 3.21. And now the village is doing the same thing, rejecting him as being from God and speaking for him. And people, that is what the world, hardened in their unbelief, does against those who are called disciples of Christ, those who act as his ambassadors, those who proclaim the truth of the gospel. The propensity for us is to love people enough to tell them they are in sin and they need to repent. A true disciple is a, has the propensity to tell the truth, to show people that they are storing for themselves up wrath from God through their sin. That they will be judged for their sin and that God's judgment is imminent. And we should have the propensity to tell them the truth that there is grace to be found in Jesus Christ if they would only repent and believe. And our propensity to tell the truth, to love people with the truth, is now often viewed as offensive, as hurtful, as harmful, as really outright dangerous. When you speak the Word of God on marriage, on gender, on sexuality, on the sanctity and dignity of life in the public arena, if you speak the Word of God, the gospel faithfully, they will dispute your authority. They will not believe that that is what the Bible teaches. They will, in their arrogance, denounce or dispute the authority of Scripture and says the Bible is wrong about these things. And they will renounce our credibility, claiming that we are just as bad as they are. To, whom, to which we will gladly confess, Amen, yes, by the grace of God, there goes I. We were once foolish and disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts, living lives full of malice and, 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 and envy and hatred. But by the grace of God, He saved us through Jesus Christ. And He reconciled us to Himself. We now have peace with Him. We have been restored. We have been made new. We've been given a new heart and new desires. And that's why we're telling you these things, that you would believe. But they will defame our propensity. And they label us as troublemakers, as stumbling blocks, as haters. Nowadays, when you speak the Word of God faithfully and truthfully, you are declared a bigot, a homophobe, a hateful hater, intolerant, ignorant, dangerous, uneducated. And it will not take much to ignite the enemies of the cross to seek to throw us off the proverbial cliff as they try to do Jesus from the real cliff near Nazareth. See, the telltale signs of unbelief 
is they will dispute our authority, they will denounce our credibility, and they will defame our propensity. And we'll see they will despise God's generosity. And verse 58, and he did not, this is Jesus, did not do many miracles because of their unbelief. Mark said that he could not do, do uh, no work of power except by laying on his hands on some sick people and healed them. And it's not that Jesus could not do any miracles because of their lack of faith. It is because he chose not to do miracles because of their lack of faith. You see, Jesus' ability to do miracles is not subject to the faith of those involved. Jesus did many miracles where there seemed to be no faith involved. He, he fed 5,000 people. They didn't profess faith in him. He calmed the storm while his disciples were decidedly unbelieving at that moment. He healed the demoniac the at the Gerasenes, the, the, the man who was possessed with a legion of demons. He did not exhibit faith. And so we must understand that the role miracles play in Jesus' uh, ministry as well as in the apostles. It is Miracles does not produce faith in a person, okay? Miracles does not produce faith in a person. Faith comes from God. Miracles may awaken faith, miracles may affirm faith, may strengthen faith, may increase faith, but it never produces faith. That is the work of the Holy Spirit upon regeneration of a sinner to new birth at the hearing of the gospel. And miracles are confirming and attesting that what has been proclaimed to them are in fact from God. And so to, to hear the Word of God intellectually, even to understand it, what it says intellectually, those are mere human endeavors. Uh, even unbelievers can understand when they read the Bible what it says. But to trust it, to believe it, to entrust yourself to it, that is a gift from God. Ephesians 2.8 tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not the result of work, so that no one may boast. Second Peter 1.1, Peter writes really to, to the church dispersed. He says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. Those who believe like ours, who have received it, and we received it, at regeneration by the Spirit. And so God's gift of faith is, is granted and ignited into life through the regenerating work of the Spirit at the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so miracles do not produce faith. The Spirit does. But miracles are used by God to affirm, to strengthen, to increase faith. 
And if there is no faith present, then the greatest miracle will not change that. We've, we've seen this before. When Jesus performed all these wonderful miracles in front of the Pharisees, and what did they do? It just hardened them to resolve to kill Him all the more. It did not produce faith in them. The willful unbelief really dries up the supernatural generosity of God. The Nazarenes forfeited the blessings that Christ had to offer them because of unbelief. Jesus was not going to give them what is precious and good and holy because of their unbelief. I mean, Jesus was really living out his own words. Back in the um, Sermon on the Mount, he says, Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pills after swine, for they will trample them under their feet and will tear you to pieces. And that's what Jesus did here. Dogs and swines are those who are unbelievers, those who are unclean, those who are defiled. And holy things and, and pulls, that is the, the things that are sacred and consecrated and, and things that belongs to God. Uh, here in this context, it's the things of the kingdom, the wisdom of God that leads one to re repentance and salvation, the, the gospel, the word of God. Even the Son of God Himself here is what is holy and precious. And the supernatural generosity of God is not to be cast before dogs and hogs. For they will not appreciate it. They will trample it underfoot and will turn around and attack you, using the very things that you have said against you. So just like Jesus in Nazareth, we need to be discerning on whether we need to continue to present the precious pearls and holy word of God who are set in their unbelief and are hostile against our call to repentance. How do we know? Well, I don't believe it's easy to know. But a violent rejection of the gospel would be a clue. These telltale signs of unbelief may be another clue when, when they start to dispute our authority, when they start to denounce our credibility, when they start to defame our propensity to speak truth. It may be that they are despising God's generosity to them, that the very thing that would save them, they reject. And when they are violently opposing and rejecting the gospel and us, the messengers, what do we do? We pull back. But we continue to pray for them that God would have mercy on them. Just like our Savior did on the cross. While He was being crucified, He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And so we never stop praying.
for the salvation of the lost, even those who are persecuting us and opposing us. For the signs, the telltale signs of unbelief, they will dispute our authority, they will denounce our credibility, they will defame our propensity, and they will despise God's generosity. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word is always timely. Your word is always true. And Lord, thank you for these lessons that we can draw from the life of Christ, our Savior. Lord, that we may know that as he was opposed, as his authority was disputed, as his credibility was denounced, as his propensity to tell the truth was defamed, despising the, your very generosity. Lord, that we should not think that this would not happen to us. And so, Lord, I pray, give us great resolve. Give us boldness, Lord. Give us the grace we need to enable us to speak and to speak truthfully, to speak accurately, to speak consistently. And Lord, when they seek to silence us and attack us, that we would pray for their salvation. And I ask this in Jesus' name.